your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture Weird stick around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around The podcast that would be top of the iTunes chart if Apple didn't test for accuracy Sponsored by Air Jordan the shoe that always has the last laugh. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> Needless to say. <laughs> Jordan, I was on drugs. Hang on. Uh, Imagine uh, if that came out. Hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. Legal team would like me to say we are not implying Michael Jordan took drugs. I was just going to say, imagine if that came out, that would be interesting. <laughs> I've watched enough of The Last Dance to know that he'd be competitively taking us to court for every last penny we've got. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not saying you've just spoiled the last episodes, but... <laughs> uh, you're here for Stick Around, uh, the podcast that uh, always or never disappoints, um, depending on your <laughs> viewpoint. Um, I'm here with Clive Fisher. Ahoy. Michael Johnson. Hello. And my cat. Oh wow! Yeah. Is the cat going to make a noise? Um, well, he's purring quite loudly. Hang on, I'll see if I can get him on. Can you hear that? I think I heard something. He's licking his ass. I think maybe if I like make it really loud in the recording, we might be. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, dear listeners, he's currently cleaning his arsehole with his tongue. Great. That's what he thinks of us. <laughs> Everyone's a critic. <laughs> I'd rather be cleaning my arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> One of the uh, one of the uh, interludes on uh, Tool's Lateralis album is uh, the sound of one of uh, Maynard James Keenan's cats. Uh, I think just purring, but it's extended out over a minute. Well, <laughs> when they get going, it is like a real motor loud purr. If they get really happy, um, yeah, I remember that time when uh, I was. Um, stroking one of them, but I don't have any cat experience, do I? And it started started making one of those noises, and I was like, what the hell's that? And you were like, it's just purring. <laughs> yeah, I think you, th- you thought it was ready to- rearing itself up for an attack, didn't you? <laughs> I think so, yeah. <laughs> um... Anyway, um, that, that won't be the that won't be the last time we mentioned cats on this podcast. A little preview for you. Oh, interesting, interesting. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> dropping clues. Lockdown is still in effect. Um, so if you're listening to is this it? in shit, I've just been out sneezing on everyone. As long as you were alert, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I wasn't really alert. <laughs> I was high on all sorts of drugs. <laughs> um, my point. Did you get them from Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he says he doesn't need him anymore because he's not at the top of uh, the athletic pyramid. <laughs> I assume we've all been consuming a lot of pop culture still because uh, there's fuck all else to do. Absolutely. Thought you going to say popcorn then? Um, <laughs> and I was going to say no, but yes, pop cult. Yeah, I have pretty much same as usual though. Like reading a lot of books. Uh, what else? Um, I've ordered MB- I've been inspired by watching The Last Dance to order an NBA vid- video game, um, but it's not arrived yet because the post at the moment is just non-existent, isn't it? Royal Mail, up your game. Jesus Christ. It's not as if there's a pandemic going on and you've got no staff. <laughs> I really need my game. Could you not <laughs> just I mean, download it onto your PlayStation? 
I could have done, but the deal I had wasn't uh, involved a physical copy. Right. Okay. I mean, that's I... for my Switch anyway, because my PlayStation is ah, okay. at my house. You know how I feel about physical copies. Um, I am a big fan, and we know Michael loves a physical copy. Mm. I don't think anyone loves one loves one more, to be honest. No. I doubt it. I like them on a Nintendo console just because they are a, va- a higher value proposition. Because you basically pay the same and Nintendo games don't lose the value. And then you can sell them again. So whenever I've got into financial dire straits, I can usually go, uh, oh, I'll just sell all my last generation Nintendo stuff and we're back in the, <laughs> we're back in the blue. <laughs> uh, I've done it a couple of times, yeah. So I think pays off. Whereas if you bought it digitally, not, never getting that money back. Yeah, I think. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Michael, but I just think you don't trust downloads, do you? Um, or uh, money? Well, we've. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a money hipster. Prefer physical money for sure. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we've reached an edge where I've been forced to buy albums from iTunes because they don't come out physically. But streaming, I've still never tackled. I think it's the next step. Soon you'll be there. <laughs> oh, some some people told me it would happen during lockdown. There's no sign of it happening yet. There's no need. I've I've, you know? I've changed streaming service during lockdown. Ooh, Ooh. What, have you, what have you moved to? I've gone to the dark side, Tidal. Ooh. Which it's bizarre actually that it's. I don't know. It seems to be touted as the dark side, doesn't it? And I don't understand why because it pays artists more than all the other ones. <laughs> Maybe that's why someone up there has decided. Does it? Um, does it have the same range as Spotify or Apple Music? Uh, yeah, pretty much identical so far in my, and it's got, um, I've moved over there because it's got CD quality recordings and I'm a big audiophile nerd. Um, and also I was just getting, I just, I was fed up with Spotify and yeah, so I thought, let's go to, I looked up which ones pay the artist the most and it was Tidal and some other one, uh, Napster, but Napster doesn't seem great. <laughs> Napster's so. still going. Yeah, apparently. <laughs> so hang on, you're telling me that Napster, the king of illegally downloading music in the 90s and 90s and not paying artists yeah, anything, now- is now paying them more <laughs> than Spotify? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, pretty much everyone's paying them more than Spotify. Jesus yeah, chart, Christ. But- <laughs> Lars Ulrich must be furious. <laughs> <laughs> What's he said about it? Uh, well, he had a famous feud with Napster back in about two thousand or something. Oh, of course he did. Yeah, <laughs> I forget. I forget what the name of the guy actually was, but Justin Timberlake played the guy who set it up in the Social Network, didn't he? It's Sean something. Sean Baker is that the name? I don't know. Can't remember. No, I can't. But yeah, I know who you mean. They are involved in the. In that program. <coughs> I never used Napster back in the day. I don't think... I, f- I very briefly used LimeWire, but I used to hate it. Um, which I don't know if that was like the same thing. I don't know if it was... I think they were similar. Similar. LimeWire always felt less legal. I don't know why. <laughs> I think it's just... Na- Napster <laughs> just had a good... Mar- yeah, had a better marketing situation, whereas <laughs> LimeWire, you just knew what was happening. <laughs> less shame. Yeah, less shame. Anyway, let's get this let's get this party started. Um, to the analog man in a digital world, Michael Johnson. <laughs> what have you got for us? Well, I'm, I'm working on a few things. I was hoping to get some ready for this podcast, but I haven't really. But that'll all come in good time on a future podcast. So I'm just going to talk about uh, a veritable grab bag, a smorgasbord of things. A I've been thinking about. Kind of like a multi-pack of crisps, but or instead of mm. crisps, pop culture. Is that fair to say? I think that's absolutely correct, yeah. Okay, go for it. Whereas previously it was like a pack of, you'd have a more of a theme, so it could have been cheese and onion, a multi-pack of cheese and onion, or a multi-pack of ready-salted. 
Lots Pretty of flavours. Yeah. The of best multi pack. Ready salted, obviously. All the flavours. Let's yeah. not get started on that club. <laughs> <laughs> We've been on this road before. <laughs> whole podcast derailed to the subject of crisps like that Stuart Lee's comedy vehicle episode. <laughs> <laughs> Can't remember what he tries to talk about, but it, the episode just ends up being about crisps. <laughs> but is oh, it? God. Is it about crisps though? That's never know with Stuart Lee, do you? <laughs> Uh, no, okay, where to start? Um, well, first of all, uh, I've been listening to, uh, I've been re-listening to a lot of hip hop albums that have come out in the last few years. Um, there's been some um, some really great uh, hip hop albums, to be honest, during the Trump era. Feels like I've uh, I made quite a pivot towards uh, British hip hop in the last couple of years, and especially last year, which was the best year in British hip hop history as far as I'm concerned, and the strength of the albums that came out. So I've been revisiting some American stuff. Uh, all I really want to mention is, this isn't a thing I think a lot about, but I always tend to have a feel for what I consider to be the hip-hop lyric of the year. Um, and when I was writing my article recently about um, Kanye West's performance of All Day at the Brit Awards, uh, that song definitely contains um, probably my favourite lyric from 2015. A very simple one. Um uh, extremely controversial and provocative uh, while putting uh, a completely new slant on a very common uh, saying. So that is, uh, like a light-skinned slave boy, we're in the motherfucking house, which is a great lyric. Um, but uh, I was th- also, I know which which um, lyric from last year was my, f- uh, my favourite. Oh, I say from last year, I mean from 2018. Uh, infrared, push a T. A much more profound lyric than that. Um, so the lyric was, remember when Will Smith won the first Grammy and they, they didn't even recognise Hove until Annie. So I don't tap dance for the crackers or sing Mammy because I'm poised to juggle these floors and nose candy. So just to put that into context, that's referring to when, I believe it was the Grammy for, for Best Rap Album was won in its first incarnation by Will Smith. Say whatever you like about Will Smith, but that's a joke, obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, they didn't even recognise Hove until Annie is referring to the fact that uh, Jay-Z didn't, wasn't um, acknowledged by the Grammys, obviously, until the release of um, Hard Knock Life from his Volume 2 album, which is obviously a sort of song that made him more acceptable to white America uh, and was a breakthrough hit. Um, no acknowledgement for his classic debut album, Reasonable Doubt. Uh, so obviously, Pusha T um, is out there with that, which a brilliant lyric out there saying that um, you know he doesn't do what he does for uh, white people's entertainment. Great lyric, but anyway, uh, for what, what I'm mentioning this for is because I was listening to uh, "You Know What I'm Saying" by Danny Brown, uh, an album from last year, um, an artist who's been on quite a creative tear over the 2010s, released four great albums, of which that was the most recent. Um, but that it, That's an album that's just, when I've re-listened to it, it's clicked more. I didn't. It was a lot different to some of his previous work when I listened to it last year. Almost more laid back, I would say. It's especially worth listening to for the track Combat, which features an absolutely scintillating beat from Q-Tip, one of the, most, one of the best beats he's produced in his storied career, which is saying a lot. Um, so worth checking out for that. But on the track Belly of the Beast, Brown's described it as his stand-up comedy album before, which uh, I think is quite appropriate because this lyric is 
makes absolutely no sense, uh, but makes me laugh out loud every time I heard it. Did the first time and did again when I was re-listening. So this this might be as good a lyric as I've heard last year, even though it, it is just ridiculous. Uh, the lyric is, I eat so much shrimp I've got iodine poisoning. Holes on my dick because I look like Roy Orbison. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, it doesn't even rhyme, which I think adds to it as well. Yeah, who cares? It does. I <laughs> uh, just wanted to talk about that, really. As I said, there's not going to be any sort of relationship between some of these things I'm mentioning. I'm just going to mention things. Cut in at any point, because I'll just talk about everything I've got to talk about now. So, um, I was then, I'm really still watching Mad Men, as I've mentioned many times. I'm on season six now. Um, for me, it's been equally excellent throughout. Uh, I was watching the third episode of season six, and there's a scene in which, in what is essentially a club, but um, you know, within the 1960s counterculture, obviously that's a different sort of thing to what we uh, we think of now. But uh, there was a, there was a scene in which a song features very prominently. I wasn't familiar with the song, but because it was in French, and given the time, I figured it was probably something to do with Serge Gainsbourg, who I've never listened to. Uh, but he was obviously a very prominent musician. And the song sounded sounded absolutely amazing, so I went away and found it and listened to it. It is the song Bonnie and Clyde by Serge Gainsbourg and Bridget Bardot. First time I've listened to Serge Gainsbourg, even though, um, as I say, he's, he's a famous musician, and I think uh, his album Histoire de Melody Nelson is the is the most famous album he has from 1971, among uh, English speakers at least. Um, not so much. Not so sure if that's the case in France, where he's much more famous. Uh, but I mean, this track is absolutely incredible. I, I've, I think it's it's instantly, you know, jumped into one of my favourite songs. That's how good it is. I've been listening to it on repeat. Um, and what I love about it is it sounds like it could have come out now, which for a song released in 1968 is pretty phenomenal. I think this is, and the, I think the the genius of the alchemy of it is that. It's not a particularly complex composition, which makes it even more impressive that you're actually able to achieve that. So I just wanted to mention that because that's really got me excited to check out more stuff, and God knows he has a lot of stuff to listen to. But I love when you you know when you discover songs or any art form really through a different medium. Um, you know, and this only features in the in the episode for about a minute and a half, probably if that. Uh, so I love the way things connect like that. Uh, yeah, it's a brilliant song. I'd encourage anyone who hasn't heard it to go and listen to it. And then another mu- more music that I've been listening to, I noticed on Twitter recently that there's been a lot of discussion of the band 100 Gex, who are an American duo. Um, debuted last year with their album 1000 Gex. And they seem to be quite controversial. I noticed from the chatter on Twitter that there was, you know, there were a lot of objections to them, um, a lot of discussion about their sound. So I thought I'd go away and listen to it. Made it a lot easier by the fact that the album's 23 minutes long. And it's definitely um, it's definitely very much of its time. In terms of the length, obviously, it fits into our shortened attention spans. And the sound is very difficult to describe, but I've not really heard much like it. Um, you could compare them slightly to Slayer Bells when they came out 10 years ago with the brilliant debut album Treats. But um, this is a lot more crazed. It jumps around the, all over the place, has a lot of different sounds. Um, I've seen them compared to a poppier sort of death grips as well. 
uh, but they're not really that stylistically similar. Clearly, in terms of attitude and aesthetics, they are drawing from punk, like a lot of music, a lot of experimental pop music in this sort of vein does. Um, There's random dubstep drops thrown in there. Basically, if you and vocally, this is um, you know, it's also well, it's like the whole album. It's Marmite basically, and the when when you see any discussion of it on YouTube in particular, a lot of the comments are along the lines of, uh, "I love listening to this, but I can't uh, listen to it around my friends," or "This is why my friends won't let me control the music selections, etc." So I think. It's probably going to be quite influential, this, just judging by the amount of uh, buzz it seems to have and the discussion I've seen about it. And it's... I mean, it's it's very difficult to judge whether something is the sound of the future because often when people say that, it's actually it actually just means it's the sound of now. It's very contemporary, but I can see this being more influential than that. And it seems like a logical progression for the way some pop music is going. So it's quite interesting and exciting. Um... If you want to know whether you like it, you basically only have to go away and listen to the track Ringtone. Uh, you only really need to listen to the very start of it to know whether you're going to love or hate this, <laughs> just for the vocals alone. Um, but I've found it quite exciting to listen to, for sure. But I would also recommend going and listening to the track Stupid Horse, which is a song that traverses I don't know how many genres. Pop punk, emo, ska, pop everything and is about a stupid horse so i mean what mod you want <laughs> I'm, I'm there <laughs> exactly yeah uh so that's another thing that i just wanted to mention uh a couple more i re a film i re i rewatched what the last film i watched was uh, inside lewin davis which is still as beautifully observed um a film about the greenwich village folk scene in the early 60s as it was when i first saw it six seven years ago uh, Oscar Isaac's breakout film uh, essentially but John Goodman is excellent value in it as usual and uh, you got to give props to Kerry Mulligan for portraying one of the most miserable characters I think I've ever seen in cinema I've, uh, I mean she, she, I've got to say that seems to be her thing she doesn't often she's good at it for sure. she doesn't often <laughs> portray happy characters I'm a brilliant actress but uh, <laughs> that's her niche I think for sure yeah um Timberlake getting his second mention of the podcast, also oh, there we uh, go. also involved, yeah. And um, well, the, I mean, <clears throat> I think obviously the Coen Brothers are outstanding filmmakers, but I think one moment that really sums up how safe a film is in their hands is that they um, they managed to very subtly slip Bob Dylan into the film at the end, and um, the ca- character Bob Dylan, not not he doesn't appear as an actor. I should clarify, <laughs> but um, yeah, they. Uh, you know, it's not done with fanfare. It doesn't focus on him, which is, you know, that's the sort of touch I like and appreciate from them. Um, the the one scene that's always stuck with me since I first saw it is when, um, you know, Lewin Davis basically goes through hell to get himself to Chicago in order to perform for a club and label owner there uh, in the hopes of making it big. And after giving a very heartfelt performance of, the, of uh, one of his tracks... The, uh, the promoter just says he doesn't see a lot of money in it and that's always been one of the best I think the best summaries of the interplay between and clash between art and commerce that I've seen um, in anything really so I really love that scene and uh, as promised um, 
I did mention I did say that there'd be more mentions of cats. Is I mean you'll you'll know Alex because I mean you're the specialist, but is there a better cat film than this? Um, hmm, that is a g- good question. I don't think so, especially because that cat in the in Lewin Davis looks a lot like the cat who's lying next to me now, uh, Ginger Tom cat. Uh, so <laughs> I'm a big. Be, fa- it could be that cat if you think about that cat in the film. Very elusive. I mean that that would be yeah, <laughs> that, that would be a win. I mean that film came out. What year was that? Did that come out? 2013. Yeah, I mean, this cat wasn't alive at that point, so um, unless he's time traveling. <laughs> uh, if yeah. you if you realised you had you owned the cat from that film, would you sell it? No, of course I wouldn't. I'd <laughs> market it and never work again somehow. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of that film, by the way. Um, I think it's. Over time and over rewatching, I think it's it steadily moves up my list of Coen Brothers films, mm. and they've got a yeah. huge amount of quality in that list. One or two duffers, but not many. I think, like you said, it, it it's one of their more straight out serious films, albeit with you know definitely comedic elements. Um, I mean, it is still best laid. The classic thing with Coen Brothers is best laid plans going wrong, and mm. it's still that kind of setup. Albeit not really his plans, just he's he's just not quite at the right time. He's just a little bit too early. You feel like his yeah. talent is there, but um, I thought. I and mean, it's very it's a very subtle film, isn't it? Which I suppose is possibly why it grows on you over time. I mean, I loved it to start with, but it, it it just continues to go up in my you know highest esteem. Really, um, I like the music as well. I thought the music was genuinely actually good. Um, yeah, I not, should say that. Yeah, definitely. Not just movie good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. That is a key distinction. No, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, it's true. it's a gorgeous film. Yeah. Um, this I wasn't planning to talk about this, but this discussion has just reminded me of it. Remember when Run the Jewels, uh, their second album, Run the Jewels Two, they released a remix version of it called Meow the Jewels, where <laughs> all of the beats were just replaced with beats made from cat noises. Yes. <laughs> you ever listen to that? I haven't. No, I probably should now. I haven't. Then I probably should. I'm just listen. I'm just reading the track. I've heard tracks from it, but I've never listened to the whole thing. I don't think I'm just reading the track titles, which have just "All My Darling Don't Cry" has been changed to "All My Darling Don't Meow." <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All due respect has been changed to "Poor due respect." <laughs> <laughs> Whose idea was this? I don't know how, I can't remember how it started. And Crown has been changed to Crown, which I love. <laughs> that is fabulous. So yeah, just popped back into my head. Uh, but yeah, the only, other, the only other thing I was going to say was, I've, in terms of reading, been re- revisiting um, Chronicles on Our Troubled Times, which is a collection of essays and columns by the rock star economist Thomas Paketti. Um which is chiefly about uh, responses to the 2008 financial crisis and various Eurozone crises in the early 2010s. Um, I was compelled to revisit this. It's uh, it's a slim but uh, compelling collection, um, which I felt the impulse to revisit given, um, well, if not the current financial situation, then the one that is about to um, develop, I would expect. Uh, so it's very interesting. Obviously, Paketti is a big name, uh, especially with his book uh, Capital in the 21st Century, which was a, a surprising big seller when it came out. 
Um, then he released his latest book, Capital and Ideology, last year. Um, this isn't particularly relevant, obviously. Although, well, the individual will decide how relevant it is. But I was shocked um, recently, shortly after the release of his new book, to find out that Paquetti was sued by one of his previous partners for domestic abuse. Uh, when it happened, he apologised and um, she withdrew the complaint. Um, but I thought what was inter- interesting about that was that Paquetti has such a large profile. I'd read numerous pieces about him and interviews with him. Um, I'd read basic resources of about him on the internet before, and I'd never seen this before. And it turned out to be you know, entirely true. It was just someone mentioning it on Twitter that brought it to light. I think it's interesting how someone can have such a big name and don't know something you know, quite so major about it. But then in the on the other hand, you could argue that that's private. It's not relevant to the writing, which I accept. But I just thought it was really interesting um, that people can exist out there without us knowing, even when they're big names, without us knowing something so, you know, significant about them. Uh, and as I say, really the individual will have very different views about the relevance of that. Um, I'm not 100% sure what I think, if I'm being perfectly honest, but... I just thought it was interesting. I think my opinion on things like that, and you know, not just violence, it would be anything where it turns out somebody you're a fan of um, does something like that, is I can't help what I've already enjoyed, and I can't yeah. suddenly say that I'm not going to enjoy something or not respect something because it turns out that person is either terrible or has done terrible things. I think it just changes the way I would view new work. I, I probably wouldn't you know give them yeah, the time of day yeah, yeah. after that but I can- I think, yeah that's probably true yeah i think this this might be an uncultivated point that i'm making um but i think what makes it hard to swallow when you find something out like that is that Paquetti. again it depends who you ask and everyone will have a different interpretation but i would say broadly speaking you know he, his whole thing is that he's opposed to inequality and he wants to eliminate that he's he's writing for what i would consider to be a better world and i think that's what sometimes makes these things so difficult depending on who they involve you know because f- flatly they disappoint you mm. yeah you know but there you go and the mm-hmm. and the only other thing i'm going to mention is that obviously i'm extremely hyped our next Friday's release of the new 1975 album, which is yes. undoubtedly my biggest release this year, no matter what else comes out. So I'm looking forward to talking about that and, soon. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that'll dominate a future podcast. And eight uh, eight tracks now released, which means uh, only another 14 to hear on Friday. That is a bumper album. <laughs> Clive, is that going to be a problem for you? That's going to be a long album. Um, no, I think 1975 is not going to be a problem. Uh, but generally, it would, yeah. It, in this case, it's going to be a bonus. And I've not listened to any of the eight yet. So, no, oh, except really? for the one with, <clears throat> I've only heard Greta Thur- the one with Greta Thurberg um, right. speech on. Oh, have you not yeah, heard? Uh, no, because I tend to avoid, I'm very, I'm very much a nerdy album person that has to, if I know an album's coming out, I'll just wait. Because otherwise, it, it makes it feel lopsided to me. It's like, oh, I've heard this song loads and I haven't heard this song. And then, I don't know. It ruins it a bit for me, so I tend to try and avoid okay. it a bit like a spoiler <laughs> in a strange way, even though it's not a story. Um, well, I, I, yeah. I've heard about three tracks off it. Um, the one I've listened to the most by far is the absolute banger, If You're Too Shy, uh, which I think Michael originally made the point, so I'll give credit to it, but it really deserved to be a big summer you know, pop rock banger. And I think it would have charted in the same kind of veins as... Uh, Mark Ronson 
and um, Bruno Mars and, you know, Daft Punk, I think it would have been that level of summer hit. Whether it will be now in downloads, mm-hmm. I don't know. Probably not. I think it, well, it peaked at number 14, I think, which is... I don't know if it's a new record for the band, but they've never really? had a top 10, which is amazing. Say they're extremely popular. band they are. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it's... It, some acts are album acts mm. in that sense, aren't they? Mm. Um, and clearly <laughs> that is the case. Uh, but yeah, this... Yeah, this... I think this... In a normal situation, I think this might, might have done a lot better. Um... I mean, I'm sure the album. We're we're already seeing a lot of promotion and press for it, but I think that would have been wall to wall if they were out there able to promote it. They would have been in the US currently, I believe, promoting the hell out of it there. Um, obviously, they are a rare British act whose whose albums. I don't think the last album did, but the the previous album to that did go to number one in the US as well, which isn't isn't that common for a, mm. a British band, obviously. Okay, yeah. that's true. Yeah, same. Yeah, Very I'm super excited. excited for it anyway. Um, Maybe we're good. <laughs> Yeah, and they've, well, they've been. They've, I've just just want to mention. There's been listening parties across Twitter and Spotify for all three of their previous albums the last three Fridays, and it'll be amazing for that to climax this Friday with the new album. It's been uh, excellent to get the fan community together like that. Um, really great experience. Mm. I, for one, I'm very excited. Um, Clive, you have been locked down in Sheffield. Mm. Which is, I don't really have a point to that. It's just, you know, a fact. Uh, <laughs> what, I thought you were saying, which is a shithole. What have you been doing? <laughs> a treeless shithole. Sorry. I'm going to review. A, um, I decided this last night. I couldn't really, I couldn't sleep. Um, so I was in bed. I was like, oh, I'll put on, I'll listen to an album. And I listened to this album. And I thought, fuck it, I'm going to talk about this tomorrow. Um, I've already talked about it before. Um, but it's my most recent uh, 10 out of 10 in terms of release date, um, which is didn't get a 10 out of 10 when it first came out. In fact, I reviewed it back in August 2018. Back, uh, It came out in May. I'm, tw- I'm leaving the album here. I'm leaving you on tenterhooks. It came out in, <laughs> in summer 2018. Um, I reviewed it, I believe, when I was doing my little... I did about four videos on YouTube reviewing things, uh, so you can see that. Uh, and I read it on the podcast, and I think I probably gave it about an eight. I can't quite remember. But it's Noonday Dream by Ben Howard, which is now, for me, an absolute bona fide ten. Um, and it's in hi- the first time I can remember in history where an album's grown so much on me over time. So I just wanted to talk about kind of why and uh, some of the things that have made me decide it goes. It's it, it's just that good. Um, and also, I think it's really underappreciated. Um I think it's got quite a good sort of following in England and review English review sites have said a lot about it, but not got much. It's not really crossed the pond, which is a shame. Um, so Noonday Dream, obviously I started listening to it when it first came out in 2018, but the period of time when I really, when this album kind of really got its hooks on me and was after a, um, so I had a breakup in at the end of 2018 and I went to Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, cause I'm a privileged twat and I can do things like that. Um, and spent a couple, two or three months over there, which is the kind of it was the perfect like rehabilitation for me um, after a uh, what was probably one of the toughest times of my life. I'm being honest, it was pretty t- uh, pretty tricky. But um, th- and this album kind of defines that time for me. Um, like I've already said, I think it's an album that's tragically overlooked. Um, it it continues his uh, Ben Howe's development as an artist from a fairly kind of straightforward, more optimistic 
uh, one on Every Kingdom, which maybe has a bit more parallels to people like Jack Johnson, slightly more complex than that kind of thing, but certainly there are similarities there. Uh, to the darker, more experimental stuff on I Forgot Where We Were, I believe it's called, I always get the bloody name of it wrong, uh, which continues uh, developing into something even more sort of unique in his own sound on uh, the Noonday Dream, which I'm talking about. It's very much an album of uh, subtlety, and I think that's maybe why it's not got some of the attention I think it deserves. I think it takes a lot of repeat listens to get it. Um, ben doesn't really push his voice like he does on I Forget Where We Were at points. Um, he never really goes above a gentle, sort of breathy, tuneful mumble, to be honest. And in a way, you could say it's quite detached and unemotional vocally. But that's, to me, what's kind of magical about the whole thing. It's like a, I see the, am- the album as kind of a canvas to put your own thoughts on top of and kind of an invitation to look inwards at yourself. Um, and the music kind of helps that. It, <laughs> there's shitloads going on. Like every second there's been, uh, has been thought about carefully. If you listen to it, you can tell every layer. It sounds like quite epic at times with the amount of stuff going on. And yet it's also incredibly subtle in a strange way. It's not in a sort of post-rocky like, fuck, yeah, loads going on. It's more loads going on, but it's all quite chilled, um, which is, again, for me, felt like a bit of an invitation to feel, but um, not necessarily telling you how to feel, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Um, and I've had the same <clears throat> album on this, the same song on this album make me feel like euphoric one time and then cry my eyes out the next um, during this time when I was traveling. And obviously it was a very up and down time emotionally anyway, but um it's always made me feel what was most useful for me at that time, kind of brought out what I should be thinking about and it kind of guided me along on that period of regrowth. It helped me think about things I wouldn't allow myself to think about when it wasn't playing. I kind of confronted things. It was, it, in a weird way, it's, the album was kind of a like a, a therapist on my phone as I travelled around on my own. <laughs> uh, and, and some of my strongest memories are still very much linked to it. Like um, I still remember vividly walking down a pitch black beach, listening to a specific song, um, like listening to it on from various nights out. I can pretty much put myself back there and know exactly what song was playing and where I was walking. Um, and weirdly enough, those what seemed like quite, um, you know, the trip was pretty epic and a lot of things that were objectively quite <laughs> interesting happened and those are probably quite the seem quite banal and, and boring but in a way they're the things i remember best um and i think it's just because of the i don't know just because the, the album certainly helped those moments stick out and um i'm very much a person i think i've spoken about this before where i can i quite flat emotionally generally speaking uh pretty chilled don't really feel a lot if there isn't music playing and it tends to be music that makes me um brings things out of me and makes me think about stuff and um certainly like most of the time like when i write lyrics when i write music when i do all that it's obviously while i'm writing a song the music of the song is playing quite often when i write lyrics or poems i'll have i have to have music on otherwise nothing would come out my head's just (laughs) a very boring place to be when there isn't music playing um and even when I'm writing more reviews that I'm doing at the minute, I'll have the music playing in the background. Um, so I, I don't subscribe to this. I feel like I'm being a bit um, saccharine here, but I don't subscribe to this whole like album change my life thing. I think we change our lives, but I think music can certainly facilitate it. Like, I, I completely think I'd have got to where I got without this album, uh, no doubt at all. But it was pretty great to have it there and to be able to turn back to those feelings like whenever I put it back on now and kind of a reminder of the fe- freedom and the, just, I don't know, the the life of those days which are totally unique and i don't know if i'll ever get the chance to to do something like that again um so you have to kind of i don't know and it's a it's a great memory for that and to me a better memory even than having pictures um with that so yeah and i think that's 
for me what's so special about albums and music in general is the fact that you can you can live with them in a way that you can't live with a film or any form of art they're so accessible kind of in any moment um you can you know like i say walking back from night out pop your headphones in listen to an album you can't really do that with any other form of art and any other forms of art take up other parts of your concentration in a way that means that you can't necessarily put your own thoughts into it as much as you can with music i don't think and like i've said this album in particular is very much like a canvas for your own thoughts i think um lastly the song murmurations for me is one of my favorite songs of all time now if not my favorite i think it might be my favorite to be honest um and to me which is the closing track and it kind of encapsulates the subtlety of the album for me it's sparse there's some kind of like background harmonics going on with which are the sort of anchor of the song and then ben's mumbling away but what really makes the uh, track is this beautiful chorus of singers who sing it at various moments and i've got this um so that one of the verses and then the, the chorus at the end is married to the sunshine in my mind i was floating away i can see all the flowers in full bloom i wish i could last and stay and then this chorus is just kind of Oh, well, living in the darkest hour. And I'm not even sure if it's just Ben repeated a million times over top of himself, uh, but it sounds like a choir in the background. And it's just quite subtle, like it's laid back, but it's just beautiful. And it it happens two or three times. And then halfway through the song, this kind of quite busy, surprisingly funky drum beat comes in and just takes everything to the next level uh, with these sort of long, drawn-out notes just... again providing like a great canvas for the end of the album a great sort of i don't know it's just fabulous um it's a great ending to what is for me uh one of the most beautiful albums there is i'm pretty much i'm content now to say that this is a masterpiece in introspection maybe it's just because the calls the vocals the depth and the soundscape kind of resonate with me in in a way that they wouldn't with anyone else or because i listened to them at this specific time um but i don't really think so um i think there's something really special in and i think if you get out there, put it on, you know, put on your best headphones and go for a solitary walk somewhere nice, um, put it on loud and see if it doesn't hit you too. Uh, I think it might. I think it's key to be outside or doing something a bit adventurous <laughs> while listening to it. Uh, I don't think it will hit you just sat around. Although once you've had that moment where it's clicked, I think you can listen to it anywhere and enjoy it. Um, and yeah, it's been my most listened album over the last couple of years by a country mile. Uh, which is saying a lot considering how much I listen to Dylan, for example. But yeah, so Noonday Dream, uh, fabulous album that I think people should give another chance because it didn't seem to do as well as his other albums. And I think it's, in my, I, I really like the second one in particular, uh, but I think this is way better. Way I can't better. say I've listened to um, much of Ben Howard, but um, I, I know Nicol- Nicola's a fan. I'm not sure if she's heard this one or not. Um, Michael, do you listen to this? No, I was really hoping it was going to be something I had when Clive was opening that, so I could just so I could comment. But unfortunately, I can't add anything. But you know, it's clear yeah. that I should listen to it. Given I was, that I was going to say, there's only you know so. one recommendation might do it, but then when somebody's giving it that kind of effusive, that kind of an effusive response, you you've got to go for it. Um, remind me of the title again, please, Clive. Yeah, noonday dream. It's noonday called. dream. Right, I'm going to download it right this second. Um, in fact, <laughs> this is going to make for great content. Um, you might even be able... Is it possible you'll be able to hear me downloading it? Does it make a noise? <laughs> we should have a download noise. Could you- I don't know if there's a notification noise when, that, when it finishes, maybe. <laughs> could you could you add one? Maybe like a, um, like a game An original show composition. 
<laughs> An original me just playing the guitar while Ben Howard downloads. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. It's going, lads, it's going. Um, about 50%, 60, 70, 80. Oh, we, we, we've got the whole album. Perfect, that's the modern world. <laughs> back in the day, you'd have had to walk to a shop, you'd have had to buy it, you'd have had to go back, put it in a CD player. God. Some might just say think that some, was... just think, I was just going to say, just think some people still do that. <laughs> some saddles. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't walk there, I drive, obviously, but... Oh, yeah, true. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I don't, not to change the subject, Clive, but um, I believe that was the same. It was the same travels when uh, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy really made an impression on you, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Those were the two albums. Yeah, I was going to mention that as well, but I didn't want to. I figured I'd waffled long enough about that. Um, for, for similar but very different reasons. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that doesn't make sense that sentence, but um, <laughs> yeah, I really like. It was again when it hit me. That one uh, I specifically remember um, listening to it on a night bus. Uh, pretty loud and just surrounded by Vietnamese people sleeping like in the beds and on the floor of the of the bus uh yeah and it was yeah great what a fa- what a fabulous album as well yeah definitely completely the opposite in terms of like it's uh, yeah, like, like maximalist uh whereas Ben Howard's is way more minimalist although like I say quite maximalist in terms of it's like how many instruments and stuff are going on but way less in terms of what they're doing <laughs> I suppose yeah <laughs> Uh, that's what yeah. I love about music I mean when when that Ben Howard al- album came out who could think that to anyone on the planet it would it would have that connection to that Kanye West album you know but the, that's how these things <laughs> yeah. that's how these things develop yeah that's that's the beauty yeah it's it. weird they do I do think of them as like the same they're like a, it's like a strange double album in a way exactly, <laughs> if I play yeah. one I always think of the other one yeah uh, because they yeah, are associated to me in my head I definitely have the same connections yeah it's funny that Okay, um, well, we will move now on to me. Um, now, since we've last been talking, um, I haven't really seen any new films, or not new-new. Um, I've watched a lot of films that were new to me, which I'm not really going to talk about, but I finally saw the David Lynch classic, The Elephant Man, um, which feels like it's a film from a lot longer ago, from the way it's shot, uh, but it was actually 1980. Um how uh, many? Uh, how much of Lynch's stuff have you seen, Alex? Uh, like maybe about, well, pr- probably half of what would be the you know the canon, if you like. Probably. Yeah, in- well, I've only seen three, but like th- they're all brilliant. Uh, um, I mean, I've seen Blue Velvet, Last Highway, and Mulholland Drive. Exactly the same, and I've I've also seen Twin Peaks. Um, right. Yeah. And well, now 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 I've now I've seen the Elephant Man, which which is less Lynchian than a lot of his films, but still bears some you know hallmarks. Um, but that's not what I want to talk about. Um, for the last uh, month or so, uh, probably a bit more than that, just before the lockdown started, um, myself and Nicola have been watching um, probably the the last kind of great uh, long form drama that we hadn't tried, or at least the last critically lauded one. Uh, the Americans. Uh, we've been watching it off Amazon Prime. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's a kind of a, a spy thriller, or a, I suppose it's a period drama set in the 1980s. Uh, it's based around the Washington, D.C. area, Virginia area. Um, the two main characters are Elizabeth and Philip Jennings, who are both Russian spies, 
posing as Americans with their own family. They have two children who are, well, legitimate Americans, at least by birth. Um, by daytime, they are travel agents. Uh, by nighttime or whenever they need to, they are spies. So they could be assassins. They could be um, they could be just farming for information. Uh, the the kind of setup is not too dissimilar to The Sopranos in the sense that it's the balancing between that family life and their other life, their secret life, and that that's sort of life that is morally compromised. Um, but we also see the other side of things. So one of the other main characters is Stan Beeman, an FBI agent who, and this is a brilliant bit of writing, which sounds like it could be far-fetched but really works pretty much their next door neighbor the fbi agent who is kind of hot on their tail but doesn't know it's them he's the, you know he's best friends played by um noah emmerich uh, the main stars by the way are matthew rees and kerry russell who shortly after this started became a real couple which probably explains the excellent chemistry they have on screen um i'm into the fourth season now um i've really enjoyed every season but it really ramps up after the first so the first season is very good but i remember thinking having watched that that's not quite on that level it doesn't quite have the nuance i'm not quite as emotionally invested with the characters um but second season onwards um i don't know if they change writers or i just don't know if they hit the stride but um it's ramped up and i can see why it's held in that kind of company the kind of company of sopranos mad men uh the wire um, it's engrossing. There are always multiple storylines on the go, um, but it never feels convoluted. You never feel uh, like you're missing anything. Um, and while I'm not sure how realistic this really is, although I understand there were sleeper agents for real in the 1980s, um, it's engrossing TV. And um, there are no easy answers in this as well. Um, you are they are our protagonists so you're kind of rooting for them but then you'll see them do something which is well pretty much evil they would argue for the greater good but um yeah engrossing stuff i know you were keen to watch this michael but i don't think you've watched any have you no i've wanted to watch this for years just because i could see the reception it was getting and i think it's often hard unless it shows um a big name really which this wasn't because it's never really had that sort of mainstream exposure as far as i can see i think it's sometimes difficult to tell what's being acclaimed on that sort of level i think there's always something out there that is being but you might not necessarily know uh, and i think this was a typical example of that while it was ongoing uh, and still is really yeah and yeah i haven't seen any of it i definitely want to see it the premise sounds superb um, and it, it does sound Sopranos-esque on paper like you referred to it, I, just think, I just think it makes sense as a brilliant premise it, it really is good and like I said give it a chance beyond the first season the first season I, I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy but it possibly feels feels almost episodic and by that I mean it feels like yes there is a long running story but often things are resolved in one episode um, mm-hmm. it's, it feels less like that from the second season onwards uh, so yeah. if you do give it a go, give it at least the first two seasons. Um, Clive, oh, for sure, yeah. Clive, I know you're not one for long form TV or for very much, but did, was this ever on your list? Um, I've not even heard of it, so which ties in with Michael's thing of it not getting much exposure yeah. <laughs> to, to, to mainstream plebs like myself. I'm, um, I'm not sure if it was ever yeah, broadcast it, over here or not on normal. Sounds TV. very interesting. I think it sure. was only shown. I think it only started being shown last year, and I think it was on something like ITV4 or something. 
Oh, okay. Well, yeah, okay. Well, it's which is quite random. <laughs> well, if if you've got an Amazon Prime account, um, it's all on there, all six seasons. Uh, like I said, we're on, we're in the middle of the fourth season at the minute, so I can't comment on it as an entire thing. But I feel I've watched enough now to give it, um, you know, a fair comment. Um, mm. I'm just in the very last episode we watched. I won't mention any spoilers, obviously, but it it proved its capacity to shock, but not in a cheap way. Um, just in a the entire kind of start of the season sets you up with one thing and in particular the episode before and then something happens very matter of factly and I felt quite numb actually because um, it was a character um, something that happened to a character I was pretty invested in and it was a great bit of writing and I think there, there is a fine line when it comes to twists and shocks for example, um, and I'm, I'm sorry if anybody watches it, but I don't anymore. Um, the Walking Dead has a prime example of a bad twist, in my opinion. A bad twist of writing. Uh, famously, in one of the episodes, um, the character Negan uh, kills off two of the characters in brutal fashion with a baseball bat wrapped, wrapped in barbed wire. And a lot of people thought it was great writing, but it really wasn't. It was awful. It was just grotesque and... Um, just shocking for shocking sake um and again y- y- you can do shocking moments of gruesome horror well for example see see game of thrones um heads being crushed uh, i'll say no more um but I-, I can't tell you where that line is but you- you've got to set up the characters first and you- you've got to feel like you weren't cheated um by the writing um but the like I said, I can't praise the Americans enough. It's uh, I should mention it's the series creator is Joe Weisberg. I don't know if he's done anything else, but I always feel that you should give creative um, adulation where, where it's deserved. Um, I'll be continuing to watch this, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how it goes. Um, I've got a few uh, a few of the little things I want to talk about, but I'll, I'll do that after in a little bit. Um, Can I just say about the Americans? Yeah, um, it's. Um from what I know it's a claim continued until it ended so that's the good news for you um, but when you when you talk about these high concept lux, sort of luxury TV shows people always mention um, The Sopranos, The Wire um, Six Feet Under usually Breaking Bad Mad Men you know, they're all, they're all the guaranteed ones I often see Deadwood included but I don't really know anything about it to be honest um, I've seen all of on. I've seen all of Deadwood. Um, I wouldn't yeah. quite put it in that company, uh, but it is very good. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. And then I think the controversial one is Game of Thrones because it was definitely on track to be included there, and it still often is mentioned. But obviously, the ending is a problem in that sense, uh, and I, d- I don't know if it'll ever be re-evaluated in the way that some shows are. I mean, it kind of happened with... it. Was, it's not the same as Game of Thrones, but the Sopranos ending, people weren't sure about it, and it took years for it to be considered one of the best endings ever. Um, Game of Thrones is completely different, because it was way... The, end, the, issue, the issues people had with the ending was way, were way more complicated, it's more controversial. Um, I think it could come to be evalu- re-evaluated to a certain extent, but I think with a viewing public that massive, it's much less likely. The Sopranos had big viewership, but Game of Thrones' audience was already bigger on TV, and in reality, it was far bigger than the TV viewing figures. So I think that'll yeah. be a problem. But the only reason I'm saying all this is because I'm interested in these things and I read about them, you know, that's why I'm talking about it. But 
the Americans seems to me like a show that's had the sort of acclaim that should have it being mentioned in the same breath as these shows. I'm not really seeing that happen, but it, that's exactly why I want to see it. It does seem to be that lauded. Well, like I said, all I can say so far is uh, I would put it put in the same breath. Maybe not the first season, but as an overall product so far. Uh, yeah. Product? Why did I call it a product there? That's horrible. Uh, as an overall creative <laughs> venture um, so far. Which ah, that's worse. Uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> as an overall thing, um, <laughs> I yeah, I I can't praise it highly enough. Um, the characters are very three dimensional. Um, you you see different layers to them. I mean, I from episode to episode, I can't decide how much I like the main two characters based on their actions, um, mm. which is very much in the same as you 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 know view someone like Tony Soprano, um, and. I like morally, you know, grey characters. Um, yeah, well, that's that's the whole that's the whole trademark of the golden age of TV, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. But anyway, we, you know, me and Nicola are, are absolutely engrossed by it. We, well, Nicola's more of a binge watcher, but we watch it together. I don't like binge watching. I don't mind watching two in a row, but that's the most I can do. Uh, so we're kind of by probably by modern standards going through this fairly slowly. But we're going through one or two episodes a night, so it shouldn't be too long till we're finished. But um, yeah, Re- highly recommended anyway, especially during a lockdown. If you're looking for a new show, um, yeah, you could do a lot worse. But right. um, Clive, it, you weren't first, so uh, Michael, uh, <laughs> did you have anything else you wanted to, to mention? What? what? Yeah, I do have one thing, but weren't you going to say something else there before I interrupted? Oh, well, I, I was going to keep it in order, but... Um... All right, yeah, yeah. well, that's all right. Um, well, the only, the only other thing I want to mention is I wanted to announce something that I'm working on. Go on. Um, I'm going to... It's going to be unveiled on uh, July the 1st. Um, well, it, I'm probably, I probably won't unveil it in one go. I might unveil it over a few days, uh, starting on July the 1st. But uh, it's something I'm going to try to... My intention is certainly to keep it updated uh, and to uh, post an update to it every January and July 1st uh, going forward. I think it'll be interesting. And what I'm announcing is the Michael Johnson Power Rankings. Which will... (laughs) This sounds great. Which will rank the top 50 musical artists, or musical acts, I should say, in the world based on... Uh, just a, a vague notion of creative momentum that I've come up with. So current act, so yes, okay. Oh, so cool. yeah, so it'll be a live thing this. that I'll update, and uh, obviously it won't be exhaustive because I'm not a professional, so I haven't heard every mu- all music in existence. So it will expose all of my prejudices and uh, <laughs> shortcomings in full, but I think it will be interesting. So that's what I'm. It'll com- definitely be interesting. That's Very what I'm coming out with. It. Um, That's quite a lot of stuff to be doing by uh, July the first. Yeah, well, my plan is to write short blurbs for each act, which will be who will be ranked in order. Show probably their last album, uh, the most obviously the most recent album, and whichever album I consider to be their most essential, etc. And some short information of why I've ranked them as as I have. Uh, and then obviously it'll probably involve less work each time I update it, but I guess that'll depend. So what happens yeah yeah I think what what's interesting about these things is I think these things change quite slowly but then obviously if you were to look at one 5 years down the line it would be completely different even though between each 6 months it might look like the changes were subtle 
So I think mm-hmm. that's that's what it'll, it'll be interesting to see how these things progress. Okay. But yeah, that's upcoming. Awesome. I'm looking forward I, to interesting this. Interesting to me. When you say power rankings, remind me again, like what kind of numbers? Is it top 50, did you say? I'm doing 50, yeah. Right, okay. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've already started, I mean, I've already started ranking and it's already difficult. To include fifty, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna like, read it. I'm, there's way, it could be a hundred easily, but yeah. I'm I'm gonna read it all. However, I'm definitely gonna skip to number one first, just because I'm gonna have to know. Uh, well, that's that's why I'm thinking I might unveil it in tens or something. Oh, you, oh, you sneaky cheeky bastard! Uh, Clickbait, yeah. It. Clickbait. Clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna make it one of those annoying things where you have to. Um, this is definitely what you should do. Yeah, like you can't start at number one so it just does 50 to 10 and then you have to click scroll the way down click next there's no option to go straight to number Maybe. one to ten you have to go through the whole lot could we now I, i'd appreciate this especially if you put it on stick around it'll give us five five clicks instead of one. Oh, i absolutely will can we um and, and annoy I, people I, I, yeah i thought you were going to totally... say you're going to have one of those clickbait headlines you won't believe what this guy ranked as the best musical act in the world <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm gonna <laughs> can we uh I, I, I'm, That's the Twitter campaign. I, I'm sensing some uh, sponsorship, um, you know, things here, Michael. Could we have it so that you have to sign up for the Oak Furniture Land newsletter to see the top five? <laughs> you know, it doesn't cost them anything, but you know, I'll leave that to Clive to decide. Yeah. <laughs> As the marketing expert, I should have said this is probably obvious, but this is going to include solo acts and bands. Because originally I was going to do it for bands, and then I was like, "Why do that? Why not just expand the entire thing?" So just create more fun for myself. Question, Michael: um, When you say power rankings, is this going to be power in terms of your opinion, <laughs> or is it going to be? Are you going to be including acts that you possibly don't like as much, but you find are powerful creatively? No, there's not going to be anyone I don't like in there. So it's going to be based on nothing more than, as I said. Sort of creative momentum is the vague term I've just used there off the top of my head. So, um, can you give them like a creative momentum rating out of something really arbitrary like a hundred, but go to the most decibel tenth or something? Ninety-three point twelve. I might not do that. <laughs> That's a shame. It'll just yeah, it'll just exist for what it is, and people can people can make their judgments about it, as I'm sure they'll have a lot of fun doing. Cool. Um. Are you finished your plug, Michael? I don't want to step on your toes. I am finished my plug, thank you. Clive, have you got anything else you would like to talk about briefly? Um, no, I'll do my plug during plug time. Um, but that sounds great. I'm excited to do that. Especially, I think especially, maybe, could be wrong here. And depends, I suppose, how much reaction you get, Michael. But um, after you do your first 50, you might get some people being like, what about such and such? And it might be someone you've not heard. Exactly. So maybe, this, maybe the second one will be quite substantially different, yeah. maybe. Mm. That, yeah, that's But the, then it that's might the start evening out. Yeah. yeah. You, obviously, you want when you do that, you want people to come to you and go, oh, you haven't included so-and-so, who you might never have listened to. That's, yeah, that's yeah. definitely a good thing that will come out of it. Yeah. Oi, Johnson, you fucking discs nonce. Where's Coldplay? <laughs> <laughs> well, I know someone who's going where's, to say that. So, where, where's the idle owl? Uh, <laughs> uh, right, okay. Creative momentum's off the chart. <laughs> um, last thing I'm going to mention, very, very briefly. Um, I considered leaving this until I'd finished it, but I don't think I'm going to be able to review it with any. Uh, I, I just don't feel like I can 
give it the quality it deserves but i'm just going to mention it as a recommendation so i'm half i've got into a stage now where i've started reading uh, graphic novels again seriously but i've tried to get more into the um artistic side than the um you know the general you know, superhero side um i looked online i'd been i'd seen a lot of recommendations for an author called chris ware who's most famous for uh, jim jimmy corrigan the smartest kid on earth which i haven't read but it's apparently excellent but I've actually book, bought his newest book, which is called Rusty Brown. Um, and one thing I'll say is, having read uh, a book called Sabrina, another uh, graphic novel by Nick Drunso, I think, um, I'm really into this kind of genre at the minute. Uh, there's something about the graphic novel as a format which can do something that no other creative medium can do. It's kind of a halfway house. Uh, so you've got obviously, if you're actually watching a film or TV, the image is presented to you along with the movement and the direction. And if you're reading something, you're kind of doing that in your own head. But a graphic novel, you are kind of animating it, but you're kind of not. Um, Rusty Brown is set in the life of a character called, called Rusty Brown from his days in an Omaha school through his life. He's kind of perpetual manchild. Um, and it's both funny, uh, very sad, very poignant, and um, oddly life-affirming. Um, I've been astounded by this so far, and the artwork is majestic. Um, I'm really enjoying it as a visual medium as much as I am as a creative medium. And um, I mean, I'd, I'd read, I'd read, um, you know, critical lordings of Chris Ware before. And I'm I'm beginning to think that he I mean only three quarters of the way through one book I'm beginning to think he might be right I mean um, one one of these quotes just you know if you don't believe me perhaps believe Mark Haddon of the Observer um, Chris Ware is one of the great writers of our generation whose graphic novels make most novels both the graphic and the regular kind seem thin and simplistic I spent twenty minutes reading the cover of Rusty Brown buy it buy all his work make your life larger. I can't say it better than that. Um, and so far, I really agree. But not just Chris Ware. Um, I would really advise people to give kind of the novelistic graphic novel a chance. Um, there is a life beyond Batman and Marvel um, in, in the comic world. That's all I've got to say on it. Cool. Uh, fair, fair, play for, uh, fair play for... Um I'm not even going to try and do it myself. Fair play for attempting to pronounce the name of the author of Sabrina. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I know I bought it for you. We, we were a fan of Sabrina, which I would recommend as well, by the way, listeners. Yeah, it was very good. The, artistically, since that's something you mentioned, it was very striking. Yeah. Um, definitely stands out in my memory from that. And in terms of topics, it was extremely current. Yeah. Um, and I loved that it didn't... Um, in my opinion, it didn't go for any sort of, um, you know, sweeping sort of narrative, sort of big narrative explosion at the end. It just sort of, just sort of fizzled out, and it seemed appropriate somehow. Well, I don't know. That yeah. was my interpretation of it. I mean, R Rusty Brown is kind of like that. It's about everything and nothing, um, which is often the kind of films or TV that I really enjoy. Um, I mean. It strikes me when I'm reading stuff like this that um, someone like Chris Ware um, could be an absolutely incredible film director. I'm sure he would lack the technical know-how, but when you see how he sets out a page, how he's manipulating how you're seeing the action, you think to yourself, mm. 
wow, yeah, you could you could do that. Um, yeah, Clive, are you someone who ever reads comics or graphic novels? No, I've still not really read one. I keep meaning to start, and I always want to start with Watchmen, but just haven't got around to it. At some point, I'll do it. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, what what, what, what it seems appealing? Watchmen's one of my all time favorites. I mean, what Watchmen somehow bridges the gap between the kind of superhero comics and this type that I'm talking about now. Um, you know, in terms of you know maturity, in terms of intelligence and depth. Um, but yeah, I, I bought this one um, and I bought another one which I haven't started and I'm really excited to be getting back into this genre. Um, it feels like I've been missing something for a while and um, I'm really pleased to be back into it. That's, as I said, not, not a huge amount to review there. As I said, I, I felt like I couldn't perhaps give it do it justice but maybe I'll give it a more thorough review when I'm finished but um, I just thought I'd flag it up anyway. Awesome. Cool. Watchmen was the so first. It's exciting to get back into something again. Mm. Sorry, Michael. No, I was just going to say Watchmen was the first graphic novel I ever read as well. Um, definitely a good place to jump in. Yeah, F- far better than the film version. Um, although the TV show was really good, mainly because it was it's his own thing. Um, mm. Cool. Well, um, I'm looking at my clock and I'm getting oh, yeah. I'm getting the message that. It is plug time. Is that right? Yep. Spot on, Clive, as usual. Oh, phew. Okay, good. Um, at StickAroundCast on Twitter, slash podcast on the Facebooks for a regurgitated Twitter vomit feed. Um, StickAroundPodcast.gmail.com if you want to send us an email and say, you're just wrong. Whatever. You just bloody Noonday wrong. Dr- Noonday dream is crap, Clive. What are you on about? Happy to be so, <laughs> so effusive about it. Um, that's a big word, isn't it? Uh, you can go on stickeronpodcast.com. That's where you really want to go because there's all sorts of stuff on there. It's magic. You, you get to like a homepage, this wonderful thing where you click on other things and it takes you to other things. It's magic. Um, one of those other things you can click on is a thing called Clive's Top 5 Albums of Every Year Challenge, as it's uh, snappily called. Which is me reviewing um, RateYourMusic.com's top five albums of every year from 1960 to the present day. And once I've done that, I'll probably do the 1950s because I feel like I'm missing some stuff. Um, but deep I'll into be dead the at that Dylan point. now, eh? Uh, yeah, deep into the Dylan. He's, um, well, I was just going to say something then, but I don't want to spoil it. Oh. Um, but yeah, we've just, just done 1964. So the fifth article, if my math is correct. Um, thoroughly enjoying it. It's good fun. We are deep into the Dylan, like you say. There's only two more years of Dylan at his height left, though. <laughs> so yeah. if you are tired of me um, talking in superlatives about my bit, my main man, Bobby D, then don't worry, it will finish soon. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we're really enjoying the challenge. And there's also some fabulous articles from Michael on there, as we mentioned last time, the uh, one about Kanye West's Brit Awards performance that you mentioned earlier. And uh, our main man, Alex Wayne, as well with Bring Your Own History, which is a fabulous article about what you bring to the cinema based on your own history. Thank you very much, Clive. Um, um, if I could have written there, I don't think I have, but... Oh, iTunes, five stars, give us five stars, or one star. One or the but other. nothing in between. <laughs> I mean, ideally five, but, you know, um, if you really feel strongly, that's fine. Uh, once this lockdown's over, Michael will hunt you down. Yeah, I was going to say, we know where you live and you're not going anywhere fast, so... <laughs> And I'll be bringing I'll be bringing the eagle with me. 
I've just scared the shit <laughs> out of you. I'll be riding the eagle to find you. <laughs> oh, gee, I was more expecting it to like sit on your shoulder. But... <laughs> <laughs> That's a big eagle. <laughs> I can tell. <laughs> Monstrous. <laughs> um, I think we're pretty much making this a weekly thing during lockdown, at least. Um, so you may find we're back next week. Um, and hopefully, hopefully we'll be out of lockdown, but it doesn't look likely. But um, we'll be doesn't we'll be here. I'm looking to f- give us, give you our amateur opinions. Hmm. I'm looking forward to the next um, vague Boris instruction video, <laughs> full full of uh, ridiculous graphics that make very little sense. Should we review that? Yeah, we should. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'll break the catchphrase out of ten. <laughs> One out of ten, I think, the current one. <laughs> a, a listicle of Boris's best announcements. Nice. <laughs> I think one of his worst would be more interesting. <laughs> well, they'd basically be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I suppose, yeah. <laughs> best because they're so bad that it's funny. <laughs> anyway. But, yeah. Let's let's call this one here. Um, he's been Clive Fisher. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold your horses. We forgot about our big man Josh Keithley's list. list. I've given some away there. He's he sent in a list this Spoiler time. Spoiler alert. Wow. Spoiler wow, alert. Yeah, come on. Um, I've just found it here. He sent me it earlier this week. Uh, let me press play. Hang on. I'm looking forward to this. Right, we, are we ready? Yeah. Big dog on the mic. <laughs> here we go. There needs to be some good comedy on the telly. With that in mind, here's a list of my favourites, I think in ascending order. Number five, porridge. A surprising entry, even for me, but it's just good and very funny. Number four, bottom. It was a toss-up between this and the young ones because something featuring Rick Mayle is essential to this list. Bottom wins. In at three, peep show. Possibly would have expected this to be higher, but it's down here because of some of the later series. Endlessly quotable. Number two, Father Ted. Fantastic. Father Jack is one of the best comedy characters of all time. And at number one, Blackadder. I think I know the scripts for each series off by heart, and it still makes me laugh out loud. A joy. Perfect. What a man. What good taste. <laughs> I'd say that was a pretty good uh, taste list there. Yeah, for I was going to say, excellent list, disappointingly uncontrarian. Yeah, I mean, there was... I, mean, prob- I was hoping probably, number one was going to be like... Probably the most um, contrarian he got was putting porridge in there, but, you know, porridge is classic comedy. It's not to everyone's taste, but, you know... Uh, I do love all the series of Peep Show, personally. Uh, yeah, yeah, I was a big fan. I think there was, there was definitely a lull. But um See, I don't agree with that. That's that's the difference with me. Right, okay. Well, Josh Keefley is um not as contra- we're gonna have to send him a message saying, Come on, Josh, put something out there in there. That's just a good opinion. That's just a good list. <laughs> it's, outra- it's true. I'm isn't outraged it? at it's the true. fact that it's good it's a good list to be honest. He um he did imply to me that he had something in store for the next one. Oh, interesting. Has he? Oh uh, yeah. I won't, I won't, reveal, I won't reveal what. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Interesting. <laughs> Interesting that he's told you this. Um, Is he I'm playing intrigued. us off um, I've only seen... <laughs> it seems like it, doesn't it? 
Seems like it. I've, I'm trying to... So, I've, I like Blackadder a lot. Haven't seen loads of the other ones, to be honest, so I'm, I'm going to have to go and watch down that list. I've always meant to, but the only British comedy I've seen is the kind of Alan Partridge, The Office type stuff. Uh, oh, and Faulty Towers. I love Faulty Towers. I haven't seen all of Bottom. Um, I've seen some of it. Uh, I, I probably prefer the young ones from what I've seen, but... Uh... Well, apparently, when I was a kid, um, my mum actually got concerned that she might have to take me for medical attention because I would not stop cry laughing at bottom when uh, one of them shot a a cattle prod into the other one, making them shit themselves, and I could not stop laughing. (laughs) (laughs) Couldn't stop laughing. She couldn't. Apparently, did you shit yourself? Um, Who knows? Who knows? (laughs) Because that would have been an even more hilarious turn of events. I mean, are there, are there two better-named main characters in any show than Richard Richard and Eddie Hitler? <laughs> Probably not, I no. just think they can't be, can they? <laughs> <laughs> no, they can't. Anyway, not really a bombshell there, just a really good list. Um, still keep coming, though, because, you know, even when he doesn't give us controversy, he gives us good lists. Yeah, that was a strong list. I love a good list. So I'd like to hear some other... I'm trying to think what list might be controversial. Probably his top five albums, I think, would be quite controversial. And probably films, I reckon. Fascinating. Mm. (laughs) Let's let's call this one here. Um, He's been Clive Fisher. Thanks. He's been Michael Johnson. I have indeed. I've been Alex Wayne. And if you heard my cat earlier, he's been Barney. Um, come, <laughs> come. By the way, if anyone's thinking that I'm really good at typing and talking at the same time, that's all typing in the background. Right. I couldn't possibly do I that. I thought it was the cat. <laughs> <laughs> Who was louder on this podcast, the cat or the download? I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> only They're one way to find <laughs> out. Fight. <laughs> <laughs> a cat and a download. <laughs> what a strange that's, fight. That's that the be. abstract humour you come here for. <laughs> anyway, come back next time, guys. Thank you very much. Stick around. Stick around. Thank you all for listening. Rest assured that you have found. The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around